With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome back to the dark room. This time out I'm back on my iPhone 4 recording instead of my Zoom recorder. Hopefully it doesn't sound bad. Uh, sometimes it's just nice to throw the iPhone in my bag and uh, use that because the Zoom is a lot more fragile than the iPhone, though it's a higher quality recording and you have more control. But you don't always need that for a podcast. It's just a voice, so hopefully uh, it doesn't sound too bad. But this time out, I'm going to start out by talking about a movie I just saw recently on Turner Classic Movies called One on One. It's a basketball movie from 1977, although a lot of people complain that it's more of a love story than a basketball movie, but I think it's a pretty good balance. It's kind of a lot like a movie that would come not long after in the 80s, uh, Vision Quest, which is a wrestling movie, which feels like a higher quality movie than this. One-on-one kind of feels like a made-for-TV movie a little bit, but it's it's entertaining. It's interesting to watch. Uh, it's f- pretty well acted for the most part. It's just it does have a very made-for-TV feel, like a TV movie. But I'm pretty sure it was out in theaters, so <laughs> I'm positive it was in, it, it played in theaters. So it, it is a real movie. And it stars Robbie Benson in my favorite Robbie Benson role. Now, I can't say that I've seen a lot of Robbie Benson movies or any other Robbie Benson movies. I mean, right now, no other Robbie Benson movie comes to mind other than one-on-one. So there was the, um, there was a, was it Robert Redford and Robbie Benson movie where he plays Robert Redford's son, I'm pretty sure. And I don't remember much about that, but I did see that at one point years and years ago. So I don't have a lot to go on in terms of Robbie Benson in terms of his work, but this, he's great in this movie. He carries the movie. If you've seen Vision Quest, he's the Matthew Modine character, basically. He's a young basketball player, high school basketball player, who gets recruited by a big college, and he goes off to school, and it's, and there's, there's like this whole kind of, um, I don't know if side story is the right way to say it, but the, like the, it's a pretty crooked college basketball program. I mean, they, they give them a car to, to get them to come to their school and 
when he when he gets to school, they give him a, a job where his job is to turn the sprinklers on and off at the football field, but they're automatic, so he doesn't really have to do anything. And then they give him tickets to every home game, and he sells them to an alumni for six hundred dollars a pair, or something like that. So it's there's the side story of corruption of this this uh, college basketball program. I, I can't remember. I think it's called Western University. I can't remember what the college is called, but um, that is not super important to me. It's not like they get caught and anything happens. It's just, it's it's just a, a part of the story. But he never. He seems really naive, and he doesn't really even seem aware um, of the corruption. Really, I mean, he takes part in it, but he doesn't. Uh, he he, like he seems confused by it at first because he's this small town kid, and but he did he did take the car and he took the job and he took the money for the tickets and everything, but um, when he when it because he's he's physically a lot smaller than the rest of the players on the team, it's really hard to believe that the coach played by G D Spradlin. Is it GD? That's what I have written down. I hope it's is GD. You know him. He was, I think, Senator Geary was his name in Godfather Part Two, where they set him up to support them because they want a gambling, they want to get a gambling license. I think it is in Las Vegas, and he won't help them get it. But then they they set him up by killing a prostitute, and well, they make him think he did it. And they set him up, and and then he becomes a an ally of theirs, kind of. But you you've seen him in that. They, I've heard I saw North Dallas Forty. Supposedly he played a very similar coach to this in North Dallas Forty, a football movie. But it's been so long since I saw it. I don't remember him from it. This is this is the main role I remember him from. And he's he's great in it. Although some people say he's a little over the top, but I think he does a pretty good job. He makes you really, really, really dislike him because they set it up where you know Robbie Benson's the the star and the main character, and he's the one we're rooting for through the whole movie. So when people are mean to him, we dislike them. And this coach becomes very mean to him. Um, uh, I can't. It's early. It's it's not super early in the movie, but. It's like he's kind of in over his head, Robbie Benson, at this college because he's he's not much of a student. He's not the smartest kid in the world, and he, like I said, he's not very big physically. So there, like his roommate is is way taller than him, like six six or something. And he says on his and his uh, college football or high school basketball team. <laughs> I was totally off on both things I just said there. Um, on his high school basketball team, Robbie Benson's roommate says that he was the shortest guy on the team, and he's six six. And he said they had seven foot tall centers, and but he was the only one that could dribble, so he was a he was the guard. But Robbie Benson is overwhelmed by school and by how big these players are and how flashy their game is, and he kind of falls behind in his development as a college basketball player. And Spradlin, the coach, asks him to renounce his scholarship. 
and he won't do it. And really, he has no choice. He, he, he couldn't do it. Like they set it up at the beginning where his dad, even though his parents are barely in the movie, his dad has kind of been driving him his whole life to practice basketball so he can get a scholarship. So there's no way he could just quit. His dad wouldn't understand. So he has to say, no, I can't. So Spradlin then proved, shows how dirty of a coach he is by trying to force him to quit, you know. He he has this he has Robbie Benson's character. I think his name's his last name is Steele. I can't remember his first name. Robbie Benson's character has him um, go one on one. I guess that's the why the movie's called that. He um, go one on one against this giant guy, really muscular guy, and it's like a, it's very physical, and the guy ends up. Um, following him really hard, and then Robbie Benson loses it and punches the guy, which the guy doesn't even really feel, and then he he just knocks, pretty much knocks Robbie Benson out by punching him. And um, Spradlin says this is you know example of someone losing their cool, but it's it's just he wants to physically um, uh, intimidate Benson to leave the team, so or to renounce his scholarship, but Benson won't do it. He, he keeps working harder and harder, working on his game, getting in shape, lifting weights, getting stronger, uh, and he's working on his schoolwork too, and he ends up, at the beginning of the movie, part of the whole deal with the, uh, with the corrupt program is the players get a tutor. But it's weird because... Everything else that's part of what the program did is a scam. You know, the job watching the sprinklers go on and off, um, the tickets, the car. But they, when they get him a tutor, she expects him to really work. So that doesn't make sense. But she's a net tool. You've seen her in things. I think she was in... I want to say she has played in Superman-related things before, because she was Clark Kent's mom, I'm pretty sure, on Smallville. I'm, I'm almost positive. Hopefully I'm not wrong. But I, I wonder if she was in one of the Superman movies, too, with Christopher Reeve. But she has red hair, attractive actress. And um, she plays his tutor, and he you know he's attracted to her from the beginning, but she's kind of a hippie. This is 77, so it's not, you know, they're... There's, I guess I wasn't in college. I was a, you know, I was ten when this movie came out, so I don't know what colleges were like. But I would think the hippies kind of were fading out by '77. But she was kind of a hippie, intellectual, and she looks down at him because he's a jock, a basketball player, a dumb jock. But then she kind of warms up to him because he's he's trying so hard, and she kind of admires that it seems. And then they end up dating and then living together. And uh, he's getting better at his studies and at college. And um, just when you think he's not going to make it, kind of, because it's the last game of the season and the coach's goal for the whole season was to go undefeated. And they're undefeated until the last game. And, like, there are injuries so the the bench is depleted and in, in uh, for the basketball team, and the someone gets hurt. A guy goes in, the last guard I guess goes in, and then he gets hurt. So Spradlin has to put Robbie Benson in in the last game of the season, 
And it's like, who cares if you go undefeated? It's like, if you're have that, if you have that good of a record, you're going to go on to playoffs or whatever your league has. So, but, but it's like important to spread Lynn that he, uh, go undefeated. So he puts Robbie Benton and in, Benson into the game, Robbie Benson, and tells him, don't touch the ball, stay away from the ball, don't do anything. So Robbie Benson, of course, goes in and does the opposite, takes over the game. There's only a few minutes left. They're behind. Um, they come back, and he ends up winning the game. It's not really a spoiler. This is a 1977 movie, and if you thought... <laughs> It was going going to go another way. The only other thing they could have done was something like Rocky One, where he may not win the game, but he be, he comes out a winner anyway. Like he learned a lesson or proved that he was good enough, and the coach was a, was a jerk or something. They could have done that, but because of the way it's got like a feel and a look of a, a made for TV movie, you know that the main character is going to succeed, and he does. And the movie ends with um, Benson being called into the coach's office, and he says, you know, the coach says, I was wrong about you. I didn't think you were tough enough, didn't think you could handle it, stuff like that. But um, but you're back on scholarship. I, I, well, he never lost his scholarship, but, you know, you're, you're on the team, you're, you're a starter, I don't know, whatever. And, um, you know, thank, you know, thanks for, for your hard work kind of thing. And Benson says basically screw you i can play anywhere i want i'm good enough i proved it in that game and you've just been screwing me over so he basically says screw you when he's going to go to another school the very end is is uh is benson playing basketball with annette o'toole on a play on like a playground um, basketball uh, court and a bunch of little kids are playing with them and someone had said online that it's kind of mirroring the beginning of the movie where they show benson as a little kid shooting baskets at his outside his garage at home and he looks across the street and all you know all the other kids are playing soccer or something and he's all alone because his dad's making him practice now he's playing with a netto tool and he's playing with these kids so he he's not playing basketball alone anymore so i guess that's the progression of him his basketball life it was kind of solitary and lonely and now it's not i don't know but it has the same the total same feel as vision quest if you liked vision quest give this movie a try because it's it's if you can get past its made for tv feel you know, TV movie of the week kind of feel. You'll really like it because the the actors are really likable. Even the the people you you've never seen before. Um, you know, it's not there's not a whole lot of actors you will recognize, but there are a few. And you know, Annette O'Toole and Spradlin and and Benson are enough for me even. But that, that's pretty much who you'll recognize, those three, from what I remember. Oh, there's the coach's secretary, who kind of has the hots for all the basketball players and for Robbie Benson. Um, she's been in a bunch of other stuff. You'll, you'll recognize her from other things, but I can't remember what I've seen her in now. But she's really good, too. So those four at least are enough to carry this movie. And there are people that, like his roommate... Robbie Benson's roommate or Annette O'Toole's boyfriend at the beginning that that you've never seen in anything else or you may you probably won't remember from anything else but they're good in their roles 
So it's, I, I think it's well acted. It's kind of a, kind of a breaking away kind of thing, you know, where breaking away has this really low budget feel, the sports movie about, um, bicycle racing in, in Indiana that has more of an indie feel because it's kind of rough looking and, and there are, you know, there's a lot of actors you'll recognize in breaking away, but this, I would compare it to, to breaking away a little in that it's, it's a little rougher feeling of, of a movie, but breaking away feels more like a, a real movie than this. This, like I keep saying, <laughs> has the feel of a made-for-TV movie and the look of a made-for-TV movie, but it's really good. And I don't know, maybe if it's Benson, maybe I have this preconceived notion of what Benson, Robbie Benson, um, what his quality level is as an actor, which I, I can't, like I said earlier, I, I don't, I have very little Robbie Benson experience. Whatever I watched of his, I can't remember other than this movie. And I loved this movie when I watched it on cable in the early eighties. So I can't say enough good about this movie. It's, it's inspirational. The basketball scenes are pretty decent. And, and like someone said online, Benson seems like a pretty good basketball player because it's not like, you know, they, they cut from a close up of him shooting the basketball to a close-up of the basket as the ball goes in. A lot of the basketball is just done in wide shots. And although someone had said the style of basketball is a lot slower paced than what we kind of see now, it's, you know, if you watch a college basketball game, it kind of feels like you're watching Hoosiers a little, you know. it's a, Most of the basketball stuff is done in wide shots. And so you see Benson, you know, he'll dribble up and shoot you know, from somewhere on the court and make the basket. So he's actually having to make these baskets. And I don't know behind the scenes if, if, uh, you know, it took him 10 times to, you know, 10 takes to make that basket or what, but it's, it's impressive. Oh, and I just remembered he co-wrote this Benson, Robbie Benson wrote this with his dad from what I remember reading online, which is kind of a cool, you know, behind the scenes story. So that Benson wrote it. But um, he looks very young in this movie. I don't know how young he was in 77, but um, he's playing a high school kid and then a college kid. So, you know, it's enough of a a movie to make you want to learn more about Robbie Benson. And Spradlin's great in it. I, I don't... Some people say he's kind of stereotypical and he's kind of over the top. I think he's great. Annette O'Toole is great. She looks great. She's Her acting is is great in it. Um, everyone everyone in it is, is at least decent, and the main actors are really good. Even, like I said, the lady who plays Spradlin's um, secretary is really good, and you've seen her in other stuff, so you'll recognize her too. But anyway, I can't cannot recognize, rec- <laughs> recommend... I cannot recommend one-on-one um, enough. And and if you like that, if you haven't seen Breaking Away or Vision Quest, I think you'll like those two, three decent sports movies that um, that aren't silly, that kind of take it seriously. And kind of all three of them kind of show that this, that life kind of is more important than sports. But sports can be important to you as well. It doesn't have to be either or. You know, a lot of sports movies, they don't even show the person, they may not even show the person's personal life because it's all about the game, you know, all about the sports. And these three movies, sports are a big part of the movie, but the characters 
personal lives and their interactions with their family and friends and things and their emotional growth are important too, especially I can think of uh, breaking away, even though that's kind of a comedy at times because he pretends like he's Italian, but his, his, uh, his relationship with his parents kind of grows as he matures and, and, you know, grows out of that whole Italian thing. So anyway, um, Watch one-on-one. It's from 1977. I saw it on Turner Classic Movies. I had not seen it since the 80s, as far as I can remember. But I was pleasantly surprised when I was stepping through the the channel guide and Turner Classic Movies had it on, and I DVR'd it and watched it. And uh, Oh, and uh, Seals and Croft sing the the, um, soundtrack. They didn't write the songs, but they sing them. So it's it's voices you've heard before, but not necessarily songs you've heard them sing before. So that's another selling point. So don't run out and see one-on-one, but if you get a chance to see it, do it. I'm Maddie Matheson, and I'm here in the test kitchen of Munchies. I'm going to show you how to make an Anduya Cholula Chipotle pizza pocket. What's a pizza pocket? Take your hand, put it in your pocket. Does it feel like pizza? No. Because it's not the same. Now, I've been watching a lot of TV lately for various reasons, but uh, I ran across a guy who I really like. He's a, a chef from Canada, and his name's Maddie Matheson. And I was watching Vice, Vice Land or Vice Channel, uh, and I, there were some shows on it that were interesting. Abandoned was one which is, uh, they go to these places, you know, that are like the title Abandoned. Like one uh, episode, they went to uh, New Orleans and showed these places in New Orleans, like the Six Flags Abandoned Amusement Park that, you know, was after Katrina was totally flooded. And and they went there, and, and then um, they went to Newfoundland to show these abandoned fishing villages because the water around them had been fished out by commercial fishing so they you know they people had to relocate but they just left their homes um so that was a great show that kind of attracted me to vice and somehow i was i was watching vice and stumbled across two shows that maddie matheson does on vice called one called it's supper time which is kind of like a how-to cooking show he's in a kitchen and he kind of goes step by step through a meal. He'll show the meal at the beginning and he co- takes you through cooking it. And sometimes he'll leave the studio and go to a restaurant to to um, a restaurant or a, a butcher shop or a grocery store to um, kind of um, give you a little more background on the meal that he's making. Like one time he was doing something with cheese. And so he went to a, a supermarket and went to the cheese section and they had a cheese expert kind of teach him a little about cheese which you get the impression he already knows this stuff but he's going there so we learn it and it's that's a half hour show and then he's got another half hour show called dead set on life where he uh he travels around the world basically and it's like a it's like a um no reservations or uh what is it parts unknown um, what's his name? Anthony Bourdain style show. But, you know, whereas Bourdain is very serious and so, and, and I want to say sober, but he's not sober. <laughs> um, but Matheson is a recovering addict. It sounds like, 
and um, he's you know a big heavy guy covered in tattoos so he's he's rough like Bourdain but he's silly and over the top and really loud unlike Bourdain so he goes to these places and he's kind of like a clown at times but then he gets serious and you can tell he's a pretty serious guy who kind of likes to use humor to loosen people up maybe and, and he likes to be over the top. He likes to yell. So whenever I'm watching it, my wife will say, why is that guy yelling so much? Why is he being such a jerk? So she hates him because he's too loud. But I think that's part of his appeal is he, you know, he, at the beginning of supper time, he'll yell, you know, the name of the food he's making. And, and he just gets kind of zany. He's, he feels harmless you know, it's like, it's not like he's a jerk who's yelling. He's seems like a nice guy who's yelling to be silly, you know, cause sometimes they'll go on its supper time. They'll go out on the patio behind the studio and cook on a barbecue. And it's just like a barbecue, you, you know, portable barbecue. You'd buy at a home Depot or whatever, or Ace, Ace hardware. And, uh, he's out in the parking lot and there's a, you know, there's a car repair place right behind him and you can see guys walking around. And one time there were construction guys, road construction guys tearing up the street and he made, oh, I want to say blackened chicken or something. So no jerk chicken, I think it was. And uh, he took it out to the, to the construction guys. And one guy was kind of jerky to him cause he's this big heavy tattoo guy. But a, a couple of the other guys were eating the chicken and seemed to really like it. So he seems like a nice guy that when he has food, he loves sharing it with people. It sounds like, cause whenever he's cooking, he'll talk about, you know, um, wow, that was loud, eh? But he'll talk about, um, when, you know, having to cook meals for his friends every night and stuff. So he seems to be uh, a person who enjoys cooking and enjoys cooking for people, for friends and things. So, but and he, oh, he also has a third show I discovered, because if you go on YouTube, a lot of um, Vice stuff is on YouTube for free. Although there's, a, when you see him cooking kind of like in It's Supper Time, he, he'll be in the Vice test kitchen. So he'll be in this kind of industrial looking kitchen instead of the Vice kitchen looks like a um, ideal, you know, 50s home kitchen, bright, brightly lit, kind of like when you watch... Um, Good Eats, how he's in a really nice house cooking in the kitchen. Um, Maddie Matheson's in a really nice kitchen, and it's supper time. But when he does the Vice Test Kitchen stuff, it's almost more fun to me because he's in an industrial you know, restaurant kitchen. He keeps calling the Vice uh, Test Kitchen, and he'll cook in that. And he, he's just a nice guy. Oh, and, and Dead Set on Life, he goes, like I said, like, like Anthony Bourdain, he goes around the world. And he'll, he'll, he'll know someone there usually, or he'll have someone who's his guide, kind of like Anthony Bourdain and they'll go around and they'll meet people, but then they'll also cook. And, uh, so, so he works food into it and it's usually, you know, you learn about the food that that, um, country or that area of that country is known for, you know, their type of food. And so you learn about another country about their food and kind of about their people too. He, he went to Australia, which was interesting. And I think he went to New Zealand. I think he went to both of them. And, uh, that was interesting. He went to Vietnam with his mentor, his chef Rang, I think his name is master Rang. I want to say that's his name. He's Vietnamese and he escaped from, escaped from a really rough sounding Vietnam 
when he was younger and uh, in a boat with pe- people he escaped in a stolen boat and uh, he was the only one that survived it sounded like um, but um, he goes Maddie Matheson and, and Master Rang goes go back to Vietnam and, and uh, go back to he kind of gives Maddie a tour of Vietnam and they kind of tour the food too and <laughs> And that one's funny because everyone keeps commenting on how how heavy Maddie Matheson is, because you know there are these kind of smaller, thinner people in Vietnam, for the most part, and he's this big, really heavy guy covered in tattoos. So that's a good one, and he always gets kind of emotional on its supper time. And on, well, on its supper time, Rang is the the he's some type of um, he's the guy in charge of something on. It's supper time, but he's a behind-the-scenes guy, and Maddie will pull him out and make him try something, and they always kind of mess around on camera. But I didn't know he was the guy that taught Maddie Matheson how to cook, how to be a chef in Toronto, I think. I want to say Toronto. And they both are uh, French chefs, supposedly, because they, they do one... They do a couple episodes in Vietnam, and one is to do with the French influence on Vietnam, Vietnamese food, and uh, they're French. there's a one French chef who's kind of a jerk to Manny Matheson for most of it, but he kind of warms up to him later. So it's just cool. The Keep It Canada is a little looser. Um, he'll kind of go to different parts of Canada. It's kind of like the dead set on life, but it's 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 in within Canada. Although there were some episodes I saw of it where it was a lot like it's supper time where he's in like his kitchen at home. It seems like this kind of small kind of cramped kitchen and uh, he's cooking just like, you know, just a how to cooking show, just like it's supper time, but lower budget, you know, with one camera possibly shot on his phone. So, but, but he, his quality is still the same. He, he doesn't change whether he's uh, doing something for YouTube or whatever that It's Canada was for. I don't know if that was for TV up there or if it was just for YouTube. But the Keep It Canada, you know, he, he's trying just as hard in that as he is in It's Supper Time or Dead Set on Life. So in, in the Dead Set on Life, the original opening, it, or that's the thing, is there, there are two different openings that I've seen on the show and I can't, I don't know which one was first, but there's one where he sits up in a coffin and then he's surrounded by his friends in a church. And it's kind of like it, you get the impression, well, he says he had a heart attack multiple times in, in the, sh- in dead set on life. He'll tell people that and he almost died. So it's kind of like dead set on life is like he, he almost died. He almost wasted his life doing drugs and alcohol. I don't know if it was either or both, but um, now he's going to kind of see the world and, and make up for what he's missed kind of thing or could have missed. That's what my impression is. That's what I get from that open. But then there's another open that's just a basic kind of like um, no reservations kind of open where it's just, you know, a bunch of video of clips from the show. But, you know, not as serious as, as no reservations or, or um, uh, parts unknown. But it's it's more of a canned open kind of thing you know with shots from the different episodes so that's got that has to have come later i would think because they wouldn't have needed to shoot a bunch of episodes to get that whereas i i I enjoy the other opening better where he's sitting up in the coffin but they must have decided they want to change the the direction of the show or something but all the episodes feel the same 
you know, not same as in repetitious and boring, but same in that their goal is the same thing. He's going to go somewhere and we're going to learn about that place while he kind of stumbles through adventures in that country slash city. And, uh, and he's going to learn something, then he's going to cook. So it's, it's, he's got three good shows. There's a lot of stuff of his on YouTube, like I said. So it, you know, his, his show's not, the two shows aren't on Vice that often. I mean, I've, I usually will step through the channel guide and DVR his shows and then watch them, you know, when they kind of stack up a little, cause they're on, on Vice, his shows are 30 minutes. So, you know, what's that 18 minutes without credits or, or without commercials maybe. So, you know, if you, if you want, when you DVR something, you can shuttle through the commercials and sometimes I'll hit the forward button, which jumps forward 30 seconds and suddenly it's in the next segment. So it's kind of wild how little at times commercial commercials they show on vice. Cause I'm sure you, know, you have to sell a commercial to air commercial and, and it seems like, you know, they don't sell that many at times cause there are times where, uh, <laughs> I'll be trying to fast forward through commercials and I hit the button and it's already into the next segment. So, but then other times it's surprisingly long breaks. So I don't know. I'm no TV executive or anything, but just a fan, just a watcher. I like to watch. So, but anyway, uh, Maddie Matheson seems like a cool guy. He's kind of like an Alton Brown, a zany Alton Brown. He seems very knowledgeable about food, but don't, don't, when I say Alton Brown, don't expect, he's like a combination of Alton Brown, um, Guy Fieri, um, um, Anthony Bourdain, Michael Simon, all these guys you see on these shows on Cooking Channel and Food Network. Like I said, I've been watching a lot of TV lately. He's like a combination of all those guys. You know, he's, he's kind of zany, but he's serious at times. He's a big guy, big heavy guy, which I can see if you're cooking and you're around food all day, I don't know how you could avoid gaining weight. And he's covered in tattoos and he's loud. So he's kind of like a, 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 a more alternative guy, Fieri or Fietti, whatever his last name is from Diners, Drivings and Dives and other, his other shows too. But I like Guy Fieri, Fieri too, Fietti. But um, Maddie's just fun, and he swears all the time. They're always beeping him, and that's the thing when you're on YouTube watching him, it's not beeped. So it's just like when I watch uh, Rick and Morty on TV and they beep it, it's kind of funny when they're beeping it, but when you hear them uncensored on YouTube, the swearing doesn't really add anything to me because I'm an adult. I can swear whenever I want. It's not shocking. (laughs) So, you know, a kid... Well, giggle probably if they heard the swearing instead of the beeping. I kind of like the beeping because it it's clean. Anyone could watch it, but it's not going to offend anyone. Although my wife complains, why does that jerk swear so much? <laughs> and all she hears is the beeped versions. But it's just funny when it's a beep 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 beep. You know, instead of hearing the swearing, it's just kind of silly sounding. So, so he's got that going for him too. If you like swearing, you can watch him on YouTube and hear some swear words. But he, he is interesting, he's entertaining, he's informative. You could learn how to cook from Maddie Matheson. I'm not watching it for that, just like when I watch Good Eats or any of these other shows. I'm, I'm 
not totally watching it to learn how to cook, but you kind of absorb a little bit of it anyway. I mean, I don't know how you could avoid absorbing a little bit of knowledge, but I'm watching it for the entertainment. So if you're looking for some fun cooking-related shows, but they're not cooking shows necessarily, except for Supper Time. It's Supper Time is straight cooking, but there's side stuff, you know, in it where they'll interview them behind the scenes or they'll, you know, like I said, they'll go on a little field trip during the show. That's interesting and informative too. I would say check out anything Maddie Matheson's on. It's Supper Time and Dead Set on Life, which are on Vice. And then his um, Keep It Canada, Keep It Canada, yeah, on YouTube. But if you just search Maddie Matheson on YouTube, you'll find a lot of stuff. And he's really fun. And like I said, you'll learn some stuff too. And if you read the comments, there are people who are, you know, who like him on YouTube and other ones who don't agree with it. But, you know, it's a lot. Like he'll say, this is the best lasagna in the world or whatever. And someone will put, you know, my mom didn't put, put this in, like he doesn't put ricotta cheese. I don't think in his lasagna, I think. And someone put you, if you don't put ricotta, it's not real lasagna or something. So he's got his own style of doing things and you may not agree with all of it, but give him a try. You may uh, really enjoy him. And uh, if not, if you don't like him, just don't watch him. I failed you, Ben. I'm sorry. I'm sure you are. The resistance is dead. The war is over. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Amazing. Every word of what you just said was wrong. I finally got to see the new Star Wars movie. Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh... I was at the library and I noticed the the DVD there. I'm too bad it wasn't the Blu-ray because there's a documentary on the Blu-ray called The Director and the Last Jedi, I think, which is a behind-the-scenes documentary about the making of it. And I wish um, I would have gotten that one, but they only had the DVD. So I grabbed it for a dollar to uh, check it out and... uh, watch it I didn't buy it I checked it out um which may sound weird that I would say I didn't buy it but this one library that I go to in their their used books shop that they have there they will have um library discards like you know like when a dvd comes out Maybe the library buys a couple copies of that DVD, and then after it cools off, they keep one, and they, they put the other, the rest of them in um, their library book store for a buck. So I will get Blu-rays and DVDs. I just got Dunkirk for a buck. I haven't watched it yet, though. And then I went back, and they had the Blu-ray, but I couldn't remember if I was the Blu-ray or the DVD, so I didn't get it. But if it's there this weekend, I'll I'll get Dunkirk for a buck. And I got the Three Signs movie. I can't remember what it's called. The Francis McDormand movie that's recently, fairly recent, within the past year, for a dollar. I haven't watched that yet. <laughs> but I've gotten a lot of really good movies for a dollar that I haven't gotten around to watching. So it's not that weird for me to say that, that I would buy the movie for a dollar or rent it for a dollar. Um... 
but so far I haven't seen. One thing I'm waiting to, to show up for a dollar is Blade Runner 2049. But uh, that's what I'm going to uh, talk about later because I rewatched it. I saw it in the theater. I think I mentioned it on a past show that I saw it in the theater. And then I uh, rewatched it on uh, HBO recently. So I'm going to talk about that a little later. But right now we're talking about Star Wars, The Last Jedi. And just like with, was it The Force Awakens, the previous one? It's hard to say they're not good movies because they're technically really good. It's just, you don't always, because we're so nostalgic for the first ones. Like I saw Star Wars, the original New Hope in uh, the theater when I was a little kid when it was new like we went one week it was sold out so we had to come back the next week to see it because it was sold out um I think Jaws happened the same way but I, I don't remember if Jaws was sold out when we went to see it Star Wars I know was and then back then because sequels weren't very good traditionally I didn't see Star Wars um, 5 and 6 in the theater because how could they be as good as episode 1 and I still even though everyone raves about um, The Empire Strikes Back I still to me um, New Hope is the best Star Wars movie if you ask me but I guess it's what you saw first maybe but um, I that's my favorite one it introduces the characters it's a fun movie it's well made it's, it was amazing at the time it's still amazing so that's my favorite Star Wars movie. I've seen the prequels, and I like them. I thought um, Phantom Menace, the first one, I thought it was pretty good. And I liked the kid playing Anakin, the little kid. Um, so I don't know. And, and my favorite Jedi is Qui-Gon Jinn, played by Liam Neeson. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, prob I'm probably not a typical Star Wars fan, I guess. Because I liked the prequels, and Episode Four is my favorite. And uh, but I like them all. I liked Force Awakens. I liked um, Rogue One. I haven't seen Solo yet, but I, I was going to go see that in the theater. But I didn't. I got distracted and didn't. So I'll see it when it's on DVD. But um, back to Last Jedi. Um, one thing. It's it's kind of a return to what. Um, empire was because it's so dark i mean it's so sad too it's like everything the rebels do and and last uh, jedi is they lose and they're not just losing they're dying you know every time a ship gets blown up it's you know it's a bunch of people dying that are part of the rebellion so it's a sad movie and it's a downer because they keep dying and dying and dying and dying until there's just a handful left, you know, spoiler, if you believe in spoilers, but it's, it's, it's just, it's hard to believe you'd want to watch this movie again, because, because it's, uh, it's such a downer, it's so sad, you know, I want to see the rebels win, I want to see the good guys win, not the bad guys, this is like, like watching MSNBC, you know, the bad guys keep winning on there, but <laughs> I want to see the good guys win. So when I watch Star Wars, I want to see the good guys win. So hopefully in, in this is what, six, seven, eight, this is eight. Hopefully in nine, the good guys get to win because one, they keep dying and two, well, they keep losing. And two, 
my another complaint I've had in the last two movies is they keep killing off the characters I like, you know, the ones I grew up with, and and because they killed these, this is more spoilers. This whole thing's going to be spoilery, so if you if you care, don't listen to this part. But they kill off Han in the last one, which I'm sure. It sounds like um, Harrison Ford wanted the character killed off, which I don't understand because he's great as Han Solo. He's great as as uh, Indiana Jones, and that hopefully, fortunately, Indiana Jones sounds like he doesn't hate Indiana Jones, like he hates Star Wars, but um, or at least hates being Han Solo. Um, it seems I don't know. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that's what the rumor. That's what I hear. I'm not. I, I haven't investigated this just as a casual fan. That's what it sounds like. And then they appear to have killed off Luke. But as we've seen, when you're a Jedi, at least you can you can survive in the Force because we, we saw Yoda in this one. And hopefully they bring back, because since they can do the animation like they did in uh, Rogue One, where they made a young Princess Leia and a young Grand Moff Tarkin, Maybe they'll do an animation of Alec Guinness and bring back Obi-Wan, the real Obi-Wan. So I don't know. But Mark Hamill will hopefully be able to come back in the next movie as a Force being. Plus, um, Yoda appeared to be physical in this. He didn't just seem to be a ghost. So maybe Mark Hamill could come back totally. I don't know. But like I had heard, Mark Hamill had a lot of disagreements with the director about his character. And I, I, I don't know what the specifics are because I haven't seen that the director in The Last Jedi documentary, which I, I will seek out on Blu-ray but because um, it's an extra on the Blu-ray, supposedly. But I, I agree with him, even though I don't know exactly what his complaints were. His character's not Luke. And... It, it's like he's this angry jerk and you know it's like luke was was different than this this character and and i have to agree with fans who are complaining about it although i haven't again i haven't investigated what fans are saying either this is just my impression um but um it's just it's a downer movie and they keep killing my my characters <laughs> And now, unfortunately, they're going to have to kill off Princess Leia because in real life, Carrie Fisher died, unfortunately. And so it's they're going to have to kill her off. And I, I'm reading the novelization of The Last Jedi and I'm, I'm near the end. I mean, it's, I'm to the point where uh, the, all of the escape pods from the uh, rebel ship, the, the last of the rebel... Um, ships, the Mon Calamari ship, um, they're about to land on the planet and then, you know, the, the first, the new order or whatever is going to attack them. So it's, there's not much left to the story. So I have to be near the end. And, um, now I forgot where I was going with my novelization. Um, but, oh, in the novelization, Princess Leia is a huge part of, of the story. I mean, everyone keeps mentioning her, and you know, and and if she's not in a scene, people are mentioning her, talking about her. So it's kind of weird. It's going to be weird to see what they do in the next movie, since Carrie Fisher's gone. 
And I don't know if they've shot any of the next movie yet or not, but uh, that's going to be interesting to see what they do with that. And I do hope they bring Mark Hamill back because uh, Luke was the best character in Star Wars and they turn him into a jerk and then they kill him. <laughs> you know, and it's... and. I have yet really, Finn maybe, but I have yet to really care about any of these new characters in Force Awakens or, or The Last Jedi. Rey is who we're supposed to, she's supposed to be the new Luke because her, so far her story kind of mirrors Luke's, but she's so good at using the Force already. Even from the beginning, she was so good at it that she's not Luke. Luke was, you know, he'd stumble around. He was an average person who then practiced and got better at it, whereas Ray was good from the beginning. So it's really hard to root for her because she didn't feel like an underdog, even though she was living by herself on this planet in you know, like a scrapyard of, of space junk and scavenging space crap, you know, space junk from, from old ships to uh, survive and selling it to survive. It's hard to root for her because she's not, she doesn't feel like the underdog like Luke did. Not that she's, not because she's female compared to male, which a lot of people complain, you know, that everyone's just afraid that they, that she's a female. My thing is, is she's so good at it. You know, Finn's the bumbling guy. Poe's the guy who's really good at, at flying and fighting in, in, in spaceships, flying spaceships and battling. And Ray is kind of stumbles into being really good at it. Finn is the guy who's like the screw up. He's more like Luke than Ray is, even though Ray is supposed to be the new Luke, you know. And and Kylo Ren is just kind of a crappy bad guy. He's no Darth Vader. He's just kind of a I don't know. Seems like a screw up Darth Vader. And then in this one, Snoke is a really wimpy emperor. Although I guess. You know, Vader killed the Emperor in, in was it, um, in, was it Return of the Jedi? He he kills it. Yeah, because Luke um, burns his body on the Ewoks planet, doesn't he? I don't know. Like I said, the first one, Episode 4, is my favorite. Empire and, and Jedi are like an afterthought to me, you know, so... But yeah, and I have read some of the extended universe books, you know, the novels in the Star Wars extended universe. And I know that since Disney bought them, those aren't canon anymore. And so they're, they're meaningless, I guess. But, you know, in that, it seemed like I'm not positive. I read some of them, not all of them. But Luke went on to be a, a, a master Jedi and rebuild the Jedi, and and that would be logical. That would be, you would think, the way it would go. And then, you know, how, like in, in the movie, well, I don't know if in the movie, I can't remember if in the movie, but in the book, when, when Yoda burns down the tree that has the Jedi books in it, I don't remember that. Well, it must be, because why else would Yoda come back in the movie? Um, you know, they kind of rip on the Jedi for being kind of a, you know, an over, kind of, well, what it became, the organization, um, they, they were, you know, looking at it negatively because it became bureaucratic and everything. But you would think if in the books, if Luke rebuilt the Jedi, he wasn't there for all of that. So he wouldn't, maybe that would be gone. 
because maybe um, him not having been exposed to all that bureaucracy within the original Jedi Order, it would he would rebuild it in a better way, hopefully. Although I don't know, maybe the bureaucracy and all of that and the politics are what happens whenever you create any organization. But you would hope that would be the path he would take instead of this starting to do it, you know, Ben Solo being bad, being, you know, evil, and uh, Luke intending to kill him and not being able to, and then um, so, you know, him becoming Kylo Ren and killing all of Luke's students and taking the rest with him or whatever it says in the book. Um, it's like, that's, uh, you know, although maybe it's more realistic that they would fail, but I mean, if the Jedi were around for a thousand years or whatever, originally, why couldn't Luke revive them? You know, if the New Order slash Empire kind of can rebuild and come back in in these new movies, why can't the Jedi? Because that's what I don't understand. I think the Jedi are a cool concept and visual and, and they're interesting in the story. But the way they've used them in Star Wars is they're kind of bumblers and, you know, they, the Sith always are the tough ones. And the Sith always seem to succeed for the most part. So it'd be nice to see them make the Jedi a positive thing again. So I don't know. I could be totally wrong. But that just I'm just sick of seeing my, my characters die off because... Um, I don't know, maybe they're sick of dealing with older actors and they want some young actors in there. But um, that's just my opinion. <laughs> so I have yet to finish the novel, but it'll be finished in the next couple of days. See, because it, I'm reading the extended edition of the novel and there are scenes in it that were cut from the movie. And having seen the movie and now reading the novel, I can't remember what scenes are cut. Because I watched the movie and it flew by so fast. That's one thing too. It felt like they tried to squeeze way too much into one movie. So they couldn't explain anything. They just had to jump to one thing. And then, you know, like I I had to explain when we were watching to my family, I had to explain what was happening because I read the book. You know, I was halfway through the book when we watched the movie. So I would say, well, this means this because this is going to happen. And they would say, oh, because in the, if you just watch the movie without reading, it moved around so fast that they didn't give you any background on what was happening. And characters would appear and things would happen and you wouldn't know anything about them. Like the whole sisters, I can't remember the girl's name, the one with who goes with Finn, they go to the, the gambling planet or whatever, the resort planet to try to find the code breaker. can't remember her name now. And... Um, in the beginning of the book, there's this whole, there's a bunch of scenes between her and her sister. So when her sister is killed in the book, it's a big deal. But in the movie, they kind of, there's, there's a couple shots of her with her sister. So when her sister dies in the movie, it's not as impactful because we don't even know who her sister is. I had to tell my family that's her sister. So, so I don't know. And so far the whole thing about all the irate fans, um, uh, trolling that character's, uh, the actress who played that character's Twitter feed where she quit quit Twitter. I don't understand what their argument with her character would be so far. I mean, she created that dampening thing so that 
ships would would be harder to trace. So I I don't understand why they hate her for that, but um, I don't know. And then she saved Finn's life in the movie at the end. I haven't gotten to that point yet. That's getting close in the book because he was going to sacrifice himself and blow up the cannon. So I don't know if they hate her for that, but I don't know. I, I don't, she's just as likable as any other of these characters, you know. So, and I, I felt really weird that whole porg thing where Chewbacca ate one or cooked, killed and cooked one. It was so sad that I don't know why that had to be in there. I don't know. It's like maybe maybe it's more realistic that Chewbacca would kill one of them and, and eat it. Even though in the book, I don't know if he ate it, ended up eating it in the movie, but in the book it's like the other porgs, porgs, I guess, um, kind of um, guilted him out of doing it because of their sad looks. But I, I don't need that. I mean, that, to do that in something else, not in Star Wars. So I guess maybe I'm like a lot of other fans in, in that way, that I don't, I don't like the direction some of this stuff is going. But it was, a, it was an okay movie. I mean, it was technically really well made, but it was a downer. And I'm not happy that they keep killing off my favorite characters. <sighs> so Luke has become Obi-Wan, basically, since they killed him off at the beginning, of, or partway through episode four. So now he's um, he's now Obi-Wan, so that means he should be coming back as a force ghost then for part of for parts of uh, uh, nine episode nine. And hopefully that means he'll be coming back for like a waving scene at the end of episode nine too with with Anakin and Obi-Wan and um, who else? Anakin, Obi-Wan, Yoda. Um, it'd be funny if then they had the Emperor and Snoke there as Force Ghosts too. Now they're all friends. <laughs> so that'd be interesting. Plus it'd be interesting to see if they do more with this whole thing with Yoda. How that concept where he can, he can affect the physical world as a Force Ghost. Because then Luke could then fight in the next one. Luke could battle kylo ren and kill him maybe that's what i'm hoping for so there that's uh those are my thoughts on uh the last jedi uh probably no one will agree with me but that's my two cents in the books there's a name for a man like you yeah. paladin paladin that's a gentleman knight in shiny armor, all armed with a cause and righteousness and a fine pointed lance, and yet a mercenary, a man who hires out for gold. What was your price, my paladin? How much gold did Norge give you to slay the dragon? Now you have accepted my challenge. Let's settle it here and now. This place, my dear paladin, like life itself, is at once a prison and freedom. Freedom for me and for you. Well, that is a thousand-foot drop behind you. 
You'll find this wall somewhat difficult to climb, but you try it if you must. You try it. Now I just want to talk about some things I've been watching since I have been uh, home a bit lately and, and watching uh, television quite a bit. Um, there's a couple things I've, I've stumbled on that are pretty neat and I want to share with you. One is a TV series on, I think it's, I watch it on H&I Network, which is pretty good, a pretty good network, Heroes and Icons, it's called. They play all the Star War, or Star Trek shows at night up until Enterprise. So they do, like every night they show an episode of Star Trek the Animated Series, then the original series, then... Um, Next Generation, then I think Voyager, then Deep Space Nine, and then Enterprise, I think is how it goes. So, um, but so it's a good network to know. But they have a, a show on it called Have Gun Will Travel. It's from the 60s, and it stars a guy named Richard Boone, who I had only ever seen in The Shootist. I think it's, um, John Wayne's last movie where he plays a gun aging gunfighter who's hoping to kind of commit suicide by gunfight because he has cancer and he's one of the guys Richard Boone is one of the guys that um kind of shows up at the saloon at the end to kill um John Wayne but he's kind of a bumbling guy in it and he doesn't really do much damage which is sad because in Have Gun Will Travel he's a traveling gunfighter but he's a good guy gunfighter, even though he wears black, all black. His name's Paladin. And he uh, he will, for $1,000, he lives in San Francisco, but if you wire him in San Francisco, you can hire him to, to do jobs for you. And uh, every episode's fairly different. It was a pretty big deal show when it was on. It was a CBS show. They said it was, it averaged number three or four for the the four or five years, something like three to five years, something like that, that it was on. And uh, Boone is is a great, good guy. He looks like he could be a bad guy, but he's not. And uh, what surprises me when you watch the credits, a lot of big-name people have written for or directed episodes of this show, like Ida Lupino directed one, um, Irwin Irvin Kirshner, who directed Empire Strikes Back, directed an episode. Um, I think Richard Boone directed a chunk of them, you know, a bunch of them. And then the writers like Ray Brad, not Ray Bradbury, um, Gene Roddenberry, who created Star Trek, he has written a couple of the episodes I've seen. Um, who's the credible shrinking man? Richard Matheson. He's written a, a couple. And then there's some other names that I recognized as writers, too. So it's kind of neat that um, a lot of these guys were were on their way up and working on uh, Have Gun, Will Travel, and then went on to do bigger things, you know. So it's kind of it's kind of a neat show. It's well done. It's kind of formulaic because he always comes into a, a situation, you know, it's like Jack, he's like the Jack Reacher of the 60s, you know. He shows up fixes the situation then moves on except he's getting paid for it he's hired to do it whereas jack reacher just kind of is stumbling around and and does the right thing and uh kills all the bad guys and then leaves so uh but it's it's that's a really good show if you get an opportunity to watch it have gone will travel it's a it's a good show you'll see oh one thing that's really wild is the director i think he directed smoking the bandit can't remember his name right now he's a former 
stuntman who directed um, Smoking the Bandit and then a bunch of other, I think, movies. Um, I think a lot of Burt Reynolds movies. I can't remember his name, but he's a, a an actor in this show and he recur he has recurring roles. They're not recurring. He'll show up as a different actor occasionally, like a no name cowboy. Although one episode he's the main the main character that hires Paladin, but um, I can't remember his name. But he he's he's very stunt guy like in Paladin. Like he usually will get in a lot of fights, do a lot of physical stuff. But he went on to be a director, and I'm sure everyone's yelling at the uh, at their iPod or MP3 player. It's uh, his name is, uh, but I can't remember. Um, maybe it'll come to me later. Uh, but it's just it's just interesting to see him early in his career because he's like a young guy really young guy and have gun will travel but that's that's a, a show i've been watching lately that's really good who are you chasing somebody chasing you nobody chasing me boy i would chase my goddamn mania all the way from Texarkana, texas really was he a bank robber book bottom Bank robbing his baby kid alongside of what this dude is doing. Yeah. Almost killed funny law officer. Driving through people's backyard, knocking down mailboxes. Got a broad in the car, took across the street line, got the man out. I don't think he's got a permission, and that's getting him. How's that behind it? <laughs> Another thing I saw recently was. Uh... The original Smokey and the Bandit, who the guy that I mentioned in Paladin directed, I'm pretty sure. But um, I was surprised how good it was. I saw it in the theater when I was a kid when it came out. And I, you know, the whole CB craze started with that. And I, I kind of wasn't that into Smokey and the Bandit at that point. But um, it, it's easy to see why it was popular. It's It's pretty fun. It's pretty well made. The chemistry between Reynolds and Sally Fields are pretty good, and Jerry Reed's really good as as the what's his I can't Smokey Bandit. What's um crap? I can't remember what Jerry Reed's handle is. <laughs> I know um, Sally Fields was Frog. Crap, and then Jackie Gleason is good in the first one. You know, over the top and like a cartoon character, but still pretty good. Uh, it was weird because it was on, they did a marathon on 4th of July on AMC, I think it was. So I watched the first one. I watched most of the second one. Actually, I watched a chunk of the second one, then it was on the next day. So I watched the rest of it. And I don't think the second one's close to as good as the first one. I think they ran out of ideas after the first one, which is funny because they had a, a whole thing planned at the end of the first one. And they could have just picked up right where the first one ended instead of, excuse me, coming up where, with that whole thing with the elephant, transporting an elephant, which just made me think, is the elephant okay back there? Is the elephant okay back there? So I don't think that was a great idea. But the first one was surprisingly good, so I would have to recommend Smokey and the Bandit. But two, I I don't know. It, if you want, If you love the characters, I guess you can. But I just... Uh, Two just wasn't as fun. It was over the top. You know, it becomes more of a cartoon. But the first one was fun. This is initial voice logic reconstruction test number one. Diagnostics on voice recognition and speech synthesis centers have been completed. At this level, all functions appear normal. Hello? Doctor? 
name continue yesterday tomorrow Another movie I watched was 2010, The Year We Make Contact. I just knew it as 2010, the sequel to 2001. And I have to admit, I'm not a huge fan of 2001. I thought it, you know, I thought it was okay. Visually, it was very well done. It's slow. It kind of bores me. I, maybe I'm not smart enough to appreciate 2001. Just like I keep trying to go back to Lovecraft's poetry, but, um, I'm not smart enough to be able to appreciate poetry unless it's set to music. And I keep banging my head against it, trying to, because I, I want to enjoy Lovecraft's poetry, but so far I haven't been able to crack it. And I think 2001 is kind of like that. Maybe I'm not smart enough, just like some silent film. Uh, there are some silent films that I can really get into, but other ones, like Cabinet and Dr. Caligari, I, I'll start and never finish. I just think I don't, I have some kind of mental block and uh, I'm unable to, uh, to appreciate um, things. I don't Kevin, Dr. Caligari is beyond me, but I can watch Nosferatu and I can watch Phantom of the Opera and I can watch all kind of comedies from the silent era, but I just can't watch Kevin and Dr. Caligari, something about it, just like 2001, even though I've seen 2001 multiple times all the way through I just find 2010 more approachable, more like a regular movie, you know, and unlike a lot of people who don't like John Lithgow's character in 2010, I think he's really interesting. I think most of the actors are really good in 2010, and I, I remember seeing 2010 in the theater when it came out and uh, really liking it, so I, it's not surprising that I liked it again on a rewatch. Roy Scheider is just such a good actor, and he's such a likable actor that you know, we I fell in love with him as an actor in Jaws, of course, because I was, you know, when Jaws was out, I was nine when we went to see Jaws. So I hadn't really seen a lot of Scheider since then, or before then. I've since seen some of Scheider's earlier work, and I liked him in 52 Pickup. I remember liking him and all that jazz I liked him in. So it's like he became somewhat a likeable, a really likable actor to me, and I really enjoyed him in 2010. Lithgow was good. Bob Balaban was good. I even liked what's her name, who played the captain of the Russian ship. She's a British actress. Damn! Oh, everyone's yelling at the their iPod again. Um, darn it! I'm, I'll remember it right after because Judy Dench is coming to mind, but it's not Judy Dench. It's the other one, the one that was in Caligula, I think. Um, who who did a great job, great Russian accent. The Russians were good in it. The the American guys were good in it. Um, the the guy who the girl who was uh, Scheider's wife in it, who was from Urban Cowboy, had a small part in Urban Cowboy, small part in uh, in uh, twenty ten. She's the girl that um, I think. Um, after um, Travolta leaves Sissy Spacek in Urban Cowboy, she's the one he he goes he ends up living with, and then going back to Sissy Spacek. Spoiler on Urban Cowboy, that was another uh, movie that was on all the time when we got cable. So, so uh, eventually I'll have to talk about Urban Cowboy on this, even though 
I shouldn't be a fan of it. I am. Just like I mentioned, 2010 or uh, one-on-one earlier in the show is from cable. And then uh, 2010, I watched on cable a lot after I had already seen it in the theater. I saw the theater and then it came to cable. So uh, a lot of happy memories of that. But I, I you know, like I said, I'm, I'm probably not smart enough to uh, appreciate tw- 2001, but I just like 2010 better. Зона это очень сложная система ловушек, что ли. Но стоит тут появиться людям, как все здесь приходит в движение. Then I rewatched Stalker, the um crap, the Russian film. I can't remember what the director's name is. Damn it. I'm sitting here in my car talking into my iPhone 4 and <laughs> oh crap. Oh, what's his name? Darn it. But um, it's funny because I watched it less than a year ago and I had forgotten chunks of it. So I I was going to watch Solaris. It was because I watched Stalker because it was on TCM, Turner Classic Movies, and I DVR'd it. And uh, I had done the same to Solaris, which is the, the director's one of the director's other movies. Crap, I can't believe I can't remember his name. But um, anyway, I, I didn't get to see Solaris because when Solaris was supposed to be being DVR'd right before that, our power went out, stayed out for a day, just long enough to not record Solaris, and a little bit, you know, in 20, 20 hours more, because Solaris is really long. Um, I can't remember how long, but... Um, but uh, so I didn't get to see Solaris yet, but I did get to watch Stalker again, and it is really good. It's slow and it's it's confusing at times, but um, it's interesting and very. It's it's well made. It it's worth watching definitely, but I just cannot remember. Darn it. Eisenstein's the only Russian director that's coming to my head right now, so I'm totally, I'm totally out of it here, <laughs> sitting in in my car in like 98 degree heat with the windows rolled up in the parking structure at work, talking about it, um, about this movie. So, um, so I'm sure I'll remember later, but um, it's not that I don't know the director. I just his name's not coming to mind. I can even. I'm thinking of the George Clooney Solaris too, and uh, I can't remember the director of the Hedies, and I know who that is too. So, so anyway, um, I got to watch Stalker again, and that was that was worth it. I would recommend Stalker. I watched it on the Criterion Collection DVD. I don't think it was a Blu-ray. Might have been a Blu-ray though. Possibly, it probably was a Blu-ray. And then this I watched on on TCM DVRing it. So. So that was that was worth it. Um, if you if you can see Stalker, definitely see it and try Solaris too. I just haven't gotten to see that. I've seen parts of Solaris in the past, but um, but not recently. Let's get this show on the road. You know, it's actually it's not that bad. Even I don't think I'm Iron Man. You're not Iron Man. Right? Am you're not. So, all right, shoot yourself. You know, if I were Iron Man, I'd have this 
girlfriend who knew my true identity, she'd be a wreck. She'd always be worrying that I was going to die. It's her proud of the man I'd become. She'd be wildly conflicted, which would only make her more <clears throat> crazy about me. Finally, another movie I, I just rewatched. I had watched a couple times in the past was the original Iron Man, and it's just I missed the beginning part where he. Uh, builds the original armor in the cave and that's my favorite part of the movie but it is neat where you know him stumbling through um perfecting the armor and then battling jeff bridges character in that in that bigger you know cooler looking armor almost that's you know more like steampunky almost so i i watched that and that was a great movie you could see how that would kind of launch um downey jr's robert downey jr's comeback and uh, he is so likable in that. And even Gwyneth Paltrow, who I'm not a fan of, is likable in, in the first Iron Man. So I've seen two and three, two and parts of three, but I don't remember that much about them. But I really liked Iron Man 1, and I thought the effects were great. And I'm mad that Terrence Fisher, I think his name is, who played... Oh, crap. He... The, uh, the military guy, damn, I'm forgetting every name. Who I'm, I'm sad he didn't come back for two. Even though Don Cheadle's a likable actor, he is way better. He's got way more personality. So I did get to see that, and and it was just fun. It's just a fun movie. Maybe my favorite comic book movie. I don't. I had big hopes for Silver Surfer being good when he was in the. Fantastic Four movie because he was one of my favorite co comic book characters, but um, being silver and threw me off because even though he's called the Silver Surfer in the comics, he was always white. So um, not to sound racist, but <laughs> he, you know, the way especially the Jack Kirby version of him, he was kind of white instead of silver. So I think they didn't, you know, he was so silver in, in the movie i think it kind of threw me off plus he wasn't as interesting in the movie as he is in the uh comics one comic that i would love them to do a movie of but they won't because of the rights with the toy stuff is rom the space knight would be a great movie i think that would be a great series and that'd be so easy to do um with the effects they have now because they could make rom look exactly like he does in the comics there'd be no need to change anything the only thing they might change is that his hands look like mittens they might give him fingers in the movie but yeah i'd love to see a rom the space night movie and i'd also love to see a machine man movie to well one guy who was drawn amazingly by jack kirby machine man and I wanted to say Ron was drawn by Kirby, but no, he was always one of the Bushemas, if that's what their names. Sal Bushema, I think. Great art on Ram. There were some uh, some issues where the art wasn't as good, but usually I love the art in Ram. And the art in Machine Man was great until someone else, when they changed the look of Machine Man, like he got the smaller eyes, that art wasn't as good, but the early Machine Man was great. So if anyone out there is listening... Please do a Machine Man movie and a Rom the Space Knight movie. Rom could have showed up in uh, that Avengers movie or whatever, the the one, the big movie where all the Avengers are in it and all that. Still haven't seen Black Panther and I haven't seen that Avengers movie. So the big Avengers movie, I can't remember what it's called. But um, that's what I've been watching lately.
nothing, you know, nothing amazing, but um, a lot of good stuff, you know, a lot of fun stuff. Ah, that beautiful Rose Dave Ivy cartoons really string my gourd, I tell you. <laughs> and Froggy, oh! Hey, who got me into this cartoon? Hey, I'm really fed up with these things anyway. Uh-oh, hey, I don't want to get fed up. Oh, oh, oh. Now, finally, finally, I just wanted to plug something that I uh, watched recently and uh, try to get people, if you're if you're interested, to buy it because to help the author out. But there's a guy named Dave Ivy who I've been in love with for a long time since I was a kid, even before I knew who he was. He was the art director for the Ghoul Show, uh, my favorite horror. Well. I would say probably my favorite horror host, although Sir Graves Gasly is is almost equal to him um, in my how how I like them, but how I feel about them. But um, when the Ghoul was on, and when he was based in Cleveland, he had a different um, art director. I think it was Milan. Oh, what's his name? The guy who did the the iconic Ghoul drawing. Milan Keckman, I think. Hopefully, I'm not butchering his name because he's a. The, the art he did was amazing on the Ghoul show. But then, when the Ghoul started shooting around the Detroit area, Dave Ivey became his art director and uh, did a lot of stuff on the Ghoul show. And he was amazing. And growing up, I loved his work. And especially almost well i loved his drawings too but um and his the the froggy puppets he'd make and the uh the art cards and things but his dave ivy cartoons you know stuck with me since the 70s and this is a long time later um but uh i so i've been a huge fan of dave ivy's for a long time i've met him a few times he has no idea who i am i'm sure but um, I've met him a few times. I even saw him in a CVS drugstore, which is cool when you see your heroes in a drugstore. But um, he recently collected his Dave Ivey cartoons in DVD form. And there's a bunch of Dave Ivey cartoons, plus some some other Dave Ivey animations I hadn't seen before, I don't remember seeing. And then a whole bunch of behind-the-scenes footage of the ghoul show that he saw, shot on Super 8 sound film that he had transferred. And that's almost the best part. I mean, the Dave the, the, the cartoons are amazing. But the behind-the-scenes footage is so good <laughs> that it's just amazing to see this behind-the-scenes, how they taped the show in the 70s. But the DVD is what I, I want to talk about the most, though. Um, it's... I want to say it's $15, but I wrote down 15, but I can't remember if it's 10 or 15. See that? I'm just, I'm, I have this senior brain going here. I wrote down $15, but I'm almost positive it was 10. But if you go online, if you go to Facebook and search Dave Ivey, Dave I-V-E-Y, um, it's, he's the only one on there, I think. And he, you can buy his cartoons via, through PayPal it's Krakatoa390 at yahoo.com is his account. K-R-A-K-A-T-O-A 390 at yahoo.com. I wrote down $15. I don't know why. I'm pretty sure it was 10 But if you go there, it'll say, you just have to search around. Or if maybe if you search Dave Ivey Cartoons. Because if I, I heard him on a late night, internet radio show i can't remember what it's called the eerie horror radio show or something it's called and uh 
I heard him on that promoting it. And if you watch, if you, if you are a fan of Dave Ivey's or the ghouls, seek out that show. They have an archive online. Dave Ivey is on two episodes and the anecdotes he tells about the ghoul when they were shooting the ghoul here and shooting the ghoul show here in the Detroit area are amazing. Dave has a pretty good memory. If the hosts were better, it's, you know, you can't blame them because they're amateurs, but if the hosts were better, we would have even gotten more out of Dave, more good stories. But, um, even though they, they, the hosts kind of got in the way of his stories occasionally, we still got a lot of really cool information about the ghoul and Dave, you know, and how he got involved with the ghoul. And uh, it's just really cool. So seek those out too. Those are free. I think Eerie Late Night Horror Show or something, Eerie Late Night Radio Show. And you can, you can go online to their archive site and download the episodes because it's on live and then they archive it. And what's funny is they the archived version has more than the live show they always do like an extra half hour or something or so many minutes on the archived version so you get more on the archived version anyway so please seek that out dave ivy ivey cartoons on dvd um, if you're a ghoul fan you've seen dave ivy cartoons and you're going to want to see these you want to see them again really nice he had them retransferred they're sd but I watched them on my computer. So, you know, I watched them in a fairly small window on my computer and they still looked great. If you have a giant HD TV, it might beat them up a little bit. But um, it's still really cool to see something Dave did with, you know, with a, a Super 8 camera and his own ability, his own talent. He put together and uh, created this stuff out of nothing. And, uh, it's just amazing to see what you, what he could do. And if he were doing it now with computers, he would be doing it professionally. But then, you know, it, the barriers to professional animation back then were a lot bigger than they are now, um, you know, when everything was done on film. So it's just amazing to see what he did. And you just, I'm tired just thinking of the planning he had to do, not just all the drawing and the actual physical work of animating, but just the planning, because I think he had to do these in order, and I think the edits were done by starting and stopping the camera, I would think. So, because it doesn't look like it's spliced together, because I think it, in Super 8 it would probably jump every time you did an edit. So, that's my that's my belief, at least. But it's just amazing. Dave Ivey cartoons on DVD. I'm almost positive they're 10 bucks. I wrote down 15 but... I, I'm pretty sure they're 10, but you'll find out. And I paid through PayPal. That's the way to do it. And, and it was, it was great. And, you know, he lives not far from me here. So I got it the same day he shipped it. I got it. And he will do a, he'll do a free sketch for you and stick it in the envelope too. If, you know, if you have something in mind, you can request, he can, you know, he might say no, but he's such a nice guy that I can't see him saying no. So please help support Dave Ivey. Um, I don't see how he makes any money off of this because with the shipping, it's shipping's included in it. He can't be making that much. Maybe it is 15 because maybe I thought it was 20 and it ended up being 15, but he's only, he, you know, with the, the burning of the discs, buying discs, burning them, packaging them and shipping them he can't be making that much money per disc so just help him out you'll you will not regret it it's uh, amazing 
and the the Super 8 sound footage is a bonus, but it almost, it fights with the cartoons for what's coolest, but the cartoons are probably cooler overall, but the, uh, the Super 8 sound footage of behind the scenes of them taping the ghoul show are amazing. So, uh, give that a try. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll think, feel the way I do. You'll love it. But anyway, that's it, uh, for this episode of the dark room. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, the dark room podcast at gmail.com, drop me a line, tell me what I'm doing wrong, tell me what I'm doing right. Tell me that you watched the you bought and watched the Dave Ivy cartoons DVD and loved it. Um, and until next time, I will see you in the dark room. I thought about this quite a bit, sir, and I, I would have to say, considering what's waiting out there for me, I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything as a career. I don't want to sell anything bought or processed, or buy anything sold or processed, or process anything sold bought or processed, or repair anything sold, bought, or processed. You know, as a career, I don't want to do that. So, uh, my father's in the army. He wants me to join, but I can't work for that corporation. Um, so what I've been doing lately is kickboxing. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.